This is Biz, and if hosting One Bad Mother for over 10 years has taught me anything, it's that parenting is hard and nobody gives a shit. So belly up to the low bar, where fine is good enough and you'll never feel alone. This is One Bad Mother. This week on One Bad Mother, that's gonna leave a scar. I talked to Amanda Diekman, author of the book Low Demand Parenting and Leading Voice in the Neurodiversity Parenting Movement about parenting burnout. Welcome, Amanda, though we're going to talk about more than just that. Amanda, welcome. Thank you. That's my first ever singing introduction. So I'm so glad to be here. Woo! All right, before we get into it, and we could just sing the rest of the show, if you'd like, it could just become that podcast. Is that podcast a, the Parenting Singing Podcast? It's like how we like squashed out all of our emotions by singing it. <laughs> Tell us, Amanda, who lives in your house? I live here. I'm Amanda. I am <laughs> 40 years old. And, yeah. um, oh, see? Oh. Just for everybody who's listening, Amanda has three children, and at any moment, they could come in needing something. And so, uh, just like real parenting, uh, we're going to roll with this. Maybe we'll edit this, maybe we'll leave it. But Can you hear the... Um... I can't the hear YouTube anything but you. No. Gabe. Yay for the Yeti. And if we can, everybody listening will just think it's coming from their own house. So <laughs> don't worry. Okay. All right. So we got you. We've mm-hmm. established that. We know there's at least one other person because they've entered your room. <laughs> yes. I live here with my husband who has been my partner since we were 19. <gasps> uh, and... He is a professor of biomedical engineering at um, the University of North Carolina and our three neurodivergent kids. uh, My oldest is 11. My middle is nine. And my youngest who just entered the room is six. And I use pseudonyms for them in public so that they can maintain their own internet legacy in whatever way they want to. (laughs) Um, So I'll use their pseudonyms here today. That is great. All right. Any animals? Oh, we do. We have yeah. a cat. Um, <gasps> their name is Evie, like the Pokemon. Okay. And yes. we have had them for about seven months and they fit thoroughly into <laughs> our family dynamic. They have very strong opinions. They were supposed to be an indoor cat, but oh, they yeah, no. were very clearly an outdoor cat. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> They would like love to lay near us, but never touching us. And it's just, you know, a big ball of opinions. Legitimately just describe me in my entire 20s. I just want to lie next to you. Don't, no touch. No touch. Okay. That's a house full. And there are so many different places we could start. Having three neurodivergent kids in your house, having any kids in your house is a lot. But the process of sort of instinct, then discovery, then adjusting, acclimating to neurodivergent kids. Like I, I have two, but my youngest, I used to call just more 
There were just mm. more. Like, it just felt like so much more. Like, I would go out and I'd be like, why are kids sitting in their parents' laps? I don't, I do not understand what is wrong with that child, right? Mine is never stopping, always very emotional, very verbal, very, all the things. And it really has a long-term impact. Mm. And I was reading, you know, some about you and on your site, and you really just flat out say PTSD uh, Mm. from parenting. And I've spoken about that with my therapist, and I've certainly felt that way. But it also feels like a weird descriptor, Mm -hmm. except for when somebody drops a book and I scream at the top of my lungs. So Mm -hmm. that is like a really vague introduction to my question of how did you get here to Mm -hmm. this idea of low demand parenting? And I can't wait to hear what that is because we just call it the low bar. But also your experience, because you also got diagnosed as an adult with autism, right? And that's Mm -hmm. like, I mean, woo, let's get the bingo card out. So talk to me, Amanda, about how you got here. Okay. I'm going to give you the the two-minute version, and then you can dive deep into any of the pieces that you want to talk about more. I'm going to get my scuba gear out. I'm ready. I go online by low demand, Amanda, but I always like to say that I um, spent my entire young life as high demand, Amanda. I was very much keeping myself safe by making elaborate rules and then following them perfectly. Oh, excuse me. Yes. Yeah. I'm talking too loud. Okay. So I'm bothering your ears. Yeah. But you want to be close to me? Yeah. Okay. We're back. All right. Also. It is like looking in a mirror, but you're just so fucking calm about it. <laughs> okay. That's also part of the story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So hi, Amanda, Amanda. When I arrived in parenthood, I had a lot of rules for myself about how I was going to be a parent, yeah! how I was going to follow them perfectly. And my children arrived on the scene and broke that entire system down. Yeah. Every single one of them didn't follow the timeline, didn't do what the baby book said they were going yeah. to, didn't do what the neighbor's kid did, every single one and different from each other. Oh, yeah. So it was like every time I built a framework, it crumbled and I got a new one Yeah. who was outside of that box. Yeah. And then another box and outside. Yeah. <laughs> Until with four, two and zero. And at that point, our family dynamic too was under a ton of stress as my husband was at a really critical career juncture. And I had my first experience of postpartum depression. And at that point I came to my system and said, I can't do this anymore. And my system said, you got to, we can't flex. And I pushed through, I pushed deeper. Uh, I went harder. And I doubled down on everything. Okay, then we'll do more therapy. I'll read more books. I'll take more medicine. I'll do more yeah. therapy. Whatever it is, I'll do it and it'll be more. And then when my middle child turned six and it was time for them to go into kindergarten, we were in the pandemic Ugh. and everything that 
we had dreamed of all of my rules about how I was going to be as their mom completely fell apart as he went into autistic burnout really severely. By the way, this is an aside. I use he, they pronouns interchangeably for my younger two. Absolutely. Um, We are a she, he, they family ourselves. So yeah. Great. Yeah, it sounds like this does wouldn't happen for you, but some people are like losing track of who I'm talking about, or nope. you know, it yeah. <laughs> doesn't happen here. Great. Again, very um, low bar. We're ready. We roll with it all. Okay. <laughs> all pronouns count. All pronouns count. Yes, that one. We, I was just like that one, or the middle one, or the, yes. like, the tall one. Like yes. literally, that's where we're, we we are at at this point. The old one and the young mm-hmm. one. Yeah. First yes, model, and- second model. <laughs> I'm actually grateful I have pseudonyms because my middle child has been changing their name so rapidly that um, they don't have a name currently. And so I'm like, well, you know what? I'm calling you whatever I call you online because the stuff doesn't keep changing. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome to having, if you celebrate Christmas, a thousand stockings because that is just easier in the long run. Um, all right. So who are you today? Okay. Yeah, who are you yes. today? And welcome to the house, whoever you are today. All right. So we've got the burnout and I don't want to yes. stop you there, but I have lots of questions yeah. about that. So keep going. Yeah. We had the burnout. Okay. Yeah. You were also in the middle of a burnout, right? Like, right. My six-year-old was in a severe autistic burnout. And that for them looked like 12 hours of screen time alone in their room with crunchy snacks, pretty like three foods. Thank goodness for Nutella, or I don't think any nutrition would have gone into that body. And to all of my old high demand Amanda eyes, the only way to view this was a failure. Mm -hmm. And yet I loved this human more than I knew I was capable of loving. Yeah. And I decided that I could trust them and that my anchor point was not going to be doing it all right. It was going to be trust. And so we made our first pivot as a family saying, you are enough right here. And that was such a powerful reframe for our family. And yet the reality is that I was experiencing many aggressive meltdowns every day and that I was the singular focus of a lot of the externalizing that was happening in the burnout. And so after 12 months of parenting my child in burnout, I was diagnosed with PTSD from my parenting experience and all of my professionals recommended that I go into an intensive trauma program out away from my family for several months in order to heal. Could you make a video in the playroom? They have a new YouTube channel oh, that they're um, really into. That's good. Um, Ninja Gaming three five four. If okay, you just want to follow. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Sorry, we're we're in the middle of like Lego customizations and mocks. So, you know, those are the YouTubers. Oh, as well as Tears of the Kingdom tutorials. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so, you mm-hmm. know, I, yeah, yeah. Mirror. Yeah, Same exactly. Um, so then I was diagnosed with PTSD, recommended that I go into intensive treatment. And I decided to stay home and to heal here instead. I was just going to uh, ask what you chose. Okay. Yes. Oh my God. I, in the middle of that year, it was really a 
foundational year for us. My child got their autism diagnosis and three months later I got mine Mm -hmm. and coming to understand my autistic identity was very much the engine that ended up taking me through my trauma experience and into wholeness and healing. And I dedicated myself to relearning how to be a human who was actually vibrantly alive instead of a human who was giving and giving away and kind of like falling <laughs> away from myself day after I day. I just, I'm sorry, everybody. My mouth, I'm just making faces because I'm just like, I don't have, like, what? Where? I don't, like, I mean, do not get me wrong. I am like all of those words that you just said. <laughs> totally makes sense. Okay. And I appreciate the journey to get there or there actually being an achievable end. Mm. That is where I'm like, I, how do you, I, ah, like it's, I know guys, I'm tired also. Uh, so words are out the door, but I don't understand how about that? And I, I do want to go back and ask you questions about some of the things you said. And we still haven't even gotten into the like low demand parenting. Do you mind if I stop and just ask some questions real quick? Because I, love I questions. Don't... Oh, good. I love asking questions. I like learning things. All right. So first of all, autistic burnout. I don't know what that is. I have a child who's been recently diagnosed with autism and that was not a big surprise not a big surprise at all so we're all just learning how to like navigate and learn more and I'll be a hundred percent honest I constantly wake up feeling like I have failed not knowing enough or Mm -hmm. getting my kid enough information so that they're Mm -hmm. comfortable so we'll just put that over in the guilt pile but what is autistic burnout What is that? Is that a thing? What is that? Yes, it is very much a thing. Autistic burnout um, is similar to maybe uh, work burnout that's more commonly understood. Um, The way that it is unique and different is that it often comes with a distinctive loss of skills. So for my six-year-old, it was a loss of speech, even though they had been verbal up to that point, they were no longer able to process speech coming in or create speech going out. And so for many months, we used various forms of assisted communication in order to help them express themselves. It came along with a loss of ability to leave the house, Um, typically Autistic burnout is associated with masking. So Mm -hmm. masking is when autistic people are living in a neurotypical world and conforming themselves to the expectations of the people around them, rather than listening to their own inner wisdom and living in the world in a way that is nurturing and safe. It's kind of like the nervous system get so deeply unsafe within yourself from all of these repeated traumas. It's, it's actually probably on a, on a brain level, very similar to what like a PTSD diagnosis does in the brain where the wiring can no longer 
create the same outcomes that it has been able to before, because what really is needed is a space of withdrawal and rest. And it often, especially for kids and my middle child also has a PDA diagnosis. So within the autistic umbrella, there is a diagnosis called pathological demand avoidance or pervasive drive for autonomy, two different names that have the same same root. Yeah. Um, and PDAers often burn out because of their experience. There's an ice cream truck. Okay. You know what? You guys can do this. You know where the cash is in the drawer. Ah! Ah! Yes! Where, where are your shoes? If you came in, <laughs> there's an ice cream truck. Oh, you you guys. just watch this, make it rain. <laughs> All right. The burnout. Burnout. Oh, wait, no, we were, we were talking about the PD. PDA. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which... yeah. So PDAers experience a threat response inside their body like they were a gazelle being hunted by a lion with the ordinary demands of life. So expectations feel to them like existential crises. And so PDAers will often burn out at younger ages because of the way that they are wired. It's like a nervous system disability that if it's not really clearly accommodated can be incredibly disabling in our demand laden world. And that is in fact, like learning how to accommodate this particular child and their radical sensitivity is what led me into creating low demand parenting around letting go of those demands, because it turns out that PDAers are on the end of a bell curve, but all of us experience unsafety when we have expectations that are too high for us. And that learning to identify what I call is too hard, what is too hard. And instead of pushing through or blaming ourselves, we actually accept ourselves just as we are and let go of what is not serving us. I am so sorry. Amanda, that is not how we were all raised. You know that. No, it is not. This is like, you know, like, because I would say that like one of my, one of my like midnight fears with my youngest is that they're going to just grow up to be like a super self-entitled, you know, Mm -hmm. white male who like, and worse that, you know, by accommodating, right? Like the outburst or the whatever in the really darkest crevices of my mind that they're going to become abusive, right? Mm -hmm. That like it just from not being able to process it or, or handle it, you know, and I, I, they're like nine that we have a long road ahead of us, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> of like mm-hmm. learning skills. But I know that all of that stems from like that fear that our kids need to understand resilience. But even I, after thir- 14 years of kids in my house, have begun to look at what resilience means differently mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. just even the words you said you know radical what was it radical acceptance uh, acceptance like i was like just gonna start like, everybody needs to know i'm right on the edge today mm. of the crying but uh, that's it's a lot of work and i'm also listening to you with the whole like learning how to communicate with your child when they're being nonverbal, like mm-hmm. that is some work. And I just want you to know that I see you because mm-hmm. if you yourself are trying, maybe we'll get to this as a question. If you yourself 
are trying to heal and trying to, you know, the example is the bucket, right? That's Mm -hmm. too full and you put a drop in and it goes everywhere, right? If your bucket is full and you're trying to heal and yet you are presented with a challenge that I very much understand of how do I make things work for this kid Mm -hmm. in a way that makes them feel safe, that is still a shit ton of work. Like yes. just emotional and, you know, they're still going to yell at you or they're mm-hmm. still going to need you to regulate them mm-hmm. and they're going to be able to roll off with it. And you're still sitting. I, I don't understand. How did you do that? How did you? But I mean, like, really, I, I also don't understand the healing at mm-hmm. home. I don't know what I would do either in that situation of going or staying. I do know how tender I am emotionally based on just waiting, you know, like if, like my husband says a thing, I'm like, you are just going to trigger that child. Stop it. You know, like, Mm -hmm. so, um, I don't know. Tell me everything. Just keep telling me everything. And I will occasionally be like, ah, we were raised with the idea that expectations from adults need to stay up high. And that that is an adult's primary job is to hold high expectations and that children's primary job is to meet those expectations, to rise up to the high expectations by pushing themselves harder and by ignoring the things inside of them that say, I don't want to, this doesn't feel right. We were actively taught not to pay attention to those things because of messages like, no, you've got to go to practice. Your coach is counting on you. Yeah. That says your coach's expectations are more important than your internal feeling of exhaustion or fear or whatever legitimate emotional experience you're having. No. You need to go to practice because your team is counting on you. You made a commitment. And so you need to follow through. That's what we were taught. Yes. And I I have to say, even though I now post kids in my house and the kids that are in my house and just talking to people for years and learning about all these different ways to approach parenting, I still think it kind of makes some sense, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, respecting people, you know, following through with commitments, you know, I I, I just don't let my children sign up for anything. Then we can avoid this problem. I'm like, sports? No, no way. Uh, But you know what I mean? Like, that's, I could still argue for the benefits of some of those lessons, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would talk say me that, that that works for some people. Yes. Oh, yes it does. <laughs> for some. <laughs> for some people that works. And right. I would say there are probably some people that that not only works, but it helps them create a healthy relationship to themselves. I'll even allow that. Yeah. Although okay. I have questions about that. Um <laughs> When people say like, well, it worked for me. I'm fine. I'm like, are you? Are you fine? <laughs> Nobody drop a book. <laughs> Let's just learn are, for a second. Are you fine? Are we Let's... fine? Yeah, no, no one's fine. Anyway. I think it's worth asking. Um, But let's say that you were a child of the 80s who couldn't ignore your internal sensations. You, sh- you shouted back. You cried louder. You broke the rules 
even knowing what the consequences would be, even when they were like, expectations are Mm -hmm. way up here. If you don't do this, I'm going to, and you did it anyway, because your internal experience was so profound that, that being true to yourself was more important than all the rules that the world set up for you. Let's think of the labels that that kid got. Then let's think about the ones who couldn't rise up, who, for whom the system crashed down on them. And it wasn't that they were so filled up with their own self. It was that they were so frightened, so frozen, so triggered, so activated that all of those kids got completely pushed to the sidelines of that narrative. And now who's speaking up for not just for them, but you know, let's listen to their lives speaking up and saying, this doesn't work for everybody. Because if you look at the lifespan for neurodivergent people, it is shockingly short because Mm. of the chronic illness and self-harm and addiction and, um, you know, the inability to stay alive. Yeah. Yes, my sweet. What'd you get? Do you want to show? That is an ice cream cookie sandwich. Oh my God, that is delicious. Nailed it. Ice cream cookie sandwich. Ice cream cookie sandwich. Ice cream cookie sandwich. We're singing ice cream cookie sandwich. Ice cream cookie sandwich. Even the same tone. Oh, and Okay, I'm going to keep my talking. I told you. I told you how it was going to be. Dude, I love it. It makes me feel (laughs) normal. You know, I got, I just happened to have an extra adult in here right now. That's like uh, the only thing that's geez. keeping this. I know. So like. Those other nervous systems just out there solving problems and keeping know, people calm. It's it's amazing. Um, so we'll, nice. we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. So we were going oh, through. Oh, neurodivergent people. Yes. Are yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm only laughing because. It's true. It's true. And it's horrible. And what a thing to like have to remember that we're coming back to. I mean, the, you know, and I don't, we just aren't talking as much as we should about it, especially Mm -hmm. like there's so much shame surrounding the self-harm and, you know, when that really is part of that experience and you know it's as a parent it can make you feel so like helpless you know yes and it's really hard for then for those stories because the parents who have experienced this journey along with their kid feel such intense shame yeah and often don't have I mean it's just too hard to expect them to say like huh maybe this parenting method didn't work out so good. Like who can do that? That's too hard under those circumstances. No one would expect it. And so in a way I feel as a late diagnosed autistic person that could do the thing, I was able to meet the expectations and the only harm was to myself. Right. That the harm that came to me is that I entered my fourth decade of zooming around the sun and I didn't know who I was. And the only answers that I had was, well, I meet everybody else's expectations. I didn't know who I was and that meeting the expectations of others all the time led me into my own burnout because then my kids' expectations and the world's expectations of me as a mother 
were absolutely impossible. I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. And so just like my child, just like looking in a mirror am my child in burnout and I'm saying, is this a failure or are you enough just as you are? Exact same words bouncing back for me. Is this a failure? If I look at all these expectations of the world and I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing it anymore. I opt out. I choose me and screw all of y'all. I'm going to do what I need to be alive. I'm going to keep myself alive first and foremost, and not just alive, but like actually living. I want to have enough inside that I can show up for my life and think, yes, this is a good day to be alive. That's what I want from my life. How do you get that with kids? How do you get that with kids? How I know I miss that's a serious question because I let go of my imagination of how my life was supposed to be. Yeah, no, I I also have let go of so many things. Okay, yeah. like all the things, but like every time you wanna, I wanna start exploring or it like it all gets jerked back mm. because of the needs of mm. the many. They are outweighing the needs of the few. And like, you know, and I don't mean like, I'm not like a big sacrificer of all the things, but like just the emotional needs of one of two kids is enough to just derail. I like, I, I, I'm, and this is a legitimate question. I don't understand mm-hmm. how that is how how you do that unless that just involves total acceptance of kids always going to be around you all the time <laughs> what it looked like for me and yeah. it's so different for each person absolutely what it looked like for me was opting out of this recipe of parenthood that had been handed to me that was systematically killing me and it meant opting out of dinner times as a family we eat alone. It meant opting out of school. We unschool. It meant opting out of wearing, you know, appropriate clothing. We wear whatever we want to wear. And even if all the grandmas on the street ask us, where are your shoes? If my kids are going into a store without shoes on, I go into the store without shoes on because I want to be with them in that. And if there's any shaming or judging happening, I want to absorb that with them. Yeah. And it also looked like proactively communicating to all my people, including the people closest to me in my home, that we were going to do these things on purpose, that there was no failure, only strength. And so when we decide we're not going to participate in like Christmas, the way that it's been done, because that's killing us, we're going to do it our own way. We tell everybody in our life, like, hey, we're not doing it. We're opting out and we're going to do it this way instead, because this is what actually makes us come to life. And what I've discovered, I can only speak for myself, but what I've learned is that when I'm not afraid of judgment, when I'm not afraid of shame, when I know who I am and I'm all filled up with myself, you can say anything you want to me. It just... It bounces right off. Like, I don't care what you think. I'm alive. I have enough for my day. My kids look at me and their faces shine. That's all I could want for myself. And that is what brings me to life so that I actually, it's like day after day, I'm becoming more and more the person I want to be. 
And that's my great journey. And so I, I feel enlivened even when the daily asks are really high. I feel like I'm enough. I'm enough to meet this as long as I do it my way. And so this is what led to the low bar parenting. They, you help other people kind of try and navigate this. Do you yes. want to talk a little bit about that? Because, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I ended up, I was <laughs> diagnosed with PTSD and I was deciding whether or not I was going to go away and... <laughs> One of the things that I noticed as I was looking at all of these treatment facilities and stuff is that they have like horseback riding and art. And I was like, oh, I think they want us to like have hobbies. And I left those in the dust a long time ago. Oh, yeah. And so I, you know, after the initial month where I I took like a, a full separation from meltdowns, I couldn't go through any more meltdowns. It was like, it was too traumatic in my body. So I had a full month of reset for my nervous system. When I reintegrated with my family, I kept asking, what do I like to do for fun? Like, what do I do that I like? And I tried houseplants. I was terrible at that. Oh, yeah. Um, I tried crochet. <laughs> oh, yeah. I tried um, building small things. Um, oh, I love building small things. Go ahead. <laughs> and they have, like miniatures and stuff. Yeah. And then I tried writing. And that's about how seriously I was taking it. It's like yeah. right up there with my house plants. And it turned out that waking up every morning and writing down my story, it just exploded out of me like a fire hose. And as soon as I wrote down these, I, had, I found six steps that were an essential piece of dropping demands and letting them go wholeheartedly. But I found that what was so crucial for me actually coming to life was not fake dropping, like not saying like, yeah. sure, you can have the popsicle, but then feeling like shit about it afterwards. Like <laughs> I want to be, I want to say, yes, yeah. eat the popsicle. Hallelujah. Thank you. Popsicle. Yes. And so like the deep work was woven into the steps. I wanted to share what I had learned with my, my immediate people around me, because a big part of what made me feel so low in the worst part was a feeling of secrecy Yeah, that the things that were happening in my home were so dramatic and scary that no one can know. Yeah. And so I, whenever I found those kind of limiting beliefs, like this is my autism coming out, I just completely reverse them. I'm like, okay, then everyone needs to know. Yeah. And so yeah. what better way to do that than social media? So I was yeah. like, okay, I'm just going to tell everyone I know at one time that I'm autistic. I'm going to tell everybody I know at one time, the yeah. way that we parent, I'm going to tell them all the things yeah. that we're not doing that we're supposed to do. And I'm just going to be like, I'm going to flip my insides to the outsides. Yeah. And then I don't have to worry. Like, no, no more hiding. And people just flocked oh, yeah. to the storytelling that came out of that. And in one year, I went from, you know, my 200 Instagram friends to, to 10,000 people who yeah. all have kids who are struggling in similar ways. Not all the same diagnoses. Not everybody is an autistic adult. Not everybody's been diagnosed with trauma. Like none of those things are everybody, but everybody touches that story in some form. Yes. And that finding my people and finding that I have a voice among my people really has been a key engine for me in healing. 
So I keep doing, showing up and doing this work because it brings me to life. If it was depleting me, I wouldn't do it. That's the whole point of how (laughs) I live. And so writing the book and sharing online, it's just, it's deeply integrated into my family's life too. We do it as a shared project. So before I share something, I talk about it with my kids. There's nothing that I share publicly that we haven't already discussed here at home. They know about trauma. They know about the impact of my childhood and masking my autism diagnosis. Like all of that is something that we live and share together. And so it also is a big part of our family's story is becoming a family that can talk openly about things that I always thought I would have to hide and like discovering that I don't have to hide here, at least in, you know, in, I mean, anywhere anymore, but at least here at home, I don't have to hide any parts of myself. And that, I mean, they're little, but they understand, they get it. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, I appreciate the honesty. (laughs) that you have shared and that you share. Well, we'll talk about the website and everything when we come back because we're going to take a quick break and come back to Genius and Fails with Amanda. And I cannot wait for this to have somebody who is so comfortable with their... I'm also comfortable with my fails. Um, (laughs) Everybody, hang on. We will be right back. One Bad Mother is supported in part by Bombas. It started with socks. I have all their socks. Their socks have lasted me and my children an absurd length of time. Years, okay? Stefan just bought a a million new pairs of socks and they are so great. They also make underwear and they make t-shirts. And the thing that I love more than how well-made these Bombas items are is the fact that underwear, t-shirts, and socks are the number one, two, and three most requested items in homeless shelters. And so when you buy them from Bombas, they donate another comfy item to someone who is in need. And I really, really feel good about giving them my money. Go to bombas.com slash badmother and use code badmother for 20% off your first purchase. Bombas.com slash bad mother code bad mother. I'm Yucky Jessica. I'm Chuck Crudsworth. And this is Terrible. A podcast where we talk about things we hate that are awful. Today we're discussing Wonderful, a podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. Hosts Rachel and Griffin McElroy, a real-life married couple. Yuck. Discuss a wide range of topics. Music, video games, poetry, snacks. But I hate all that stuff. I know you do, Yucky Jessica. It comes out every Wednesday, the worst day of the week, wherever you download your podcasts. For our next topic, we're talking Fiona, the baby hippo from the Cincinnati Zoo. I hate this little hippo. Hey, you know what it's time for this week's Genius and Fails. This is the part of the show where we share our genius moment of the week, as well as our failures, and feel better about ourselves by hearing yours. You can share some of your own by calling 206-350-9485. That's 206-350-9485. Everybody, we are back. 
with the very lovely and kind and emotionally generous Amanda Diekman. <laughs> and she is going to join us for some genius and fails. Um, oh my God, guys, you just don't even know what I'm getting to witness just before I do all this. So Amanda has got like three uh, kids. Uh, they have all just come in at different times, which I love because that makes me feel normal. She is currently having a, a ninja battle with, I believe it's her youngest. And so like legitimately, it, it it's just everything that is real about parenting. And we are just rolling with it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to just come in and out. So we're going to start with geniuses. I will start just to make life easy. Uh, the genius that I have had was we went on this three-week trip to Sweden. And that was a long time. First of all, that was a lot. Okay. Second, I went in there with my low expectations and buddy, I, cause I, you cannot be in a car with too many meltdowns. You just gotta really pace it out. I, I made it rain. I, did you want a garbage ball from the science museum? Cheers. Take it. You can have it. Do you, do you need another ice cream cone? Absolutely. I would like for you to have that ice cream cone. This is vacation and rules may change again when we go back. But for right now, we're all out of our element. So we are all going to do whatever helps us get through this irregular time. And I enjoyed myself tremendously. I also did the same for myself, I would like to point out. Did I want another ice cream cone? Oh, yes, I did. And so we survived it. And we also had a really good time. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I saw what you did. Oh, my God. I'm paying attention. Wow. You, Mom, are a genius. Oh, my God. That's fucking genius. Um, okay, so my parenting genius mm -hmm. is a yes shopping trip at the grocery store. Oh. So I make the commitment that I will say yes to anything that goes in the cart. And they say, you know, an entire bag of gummy bears, like, yes. Like filet mignon, yes. Uh, <laughs> Push-up pops, yes. Yes. And so we just run through like, oh, like, okay, let's do it. And so we go to the grocery store, they put in absolutely anything they want. And I say yes to all of it. And that is my genius because I have really restricted eaters who have very narrow yeah. um, yes. And the yes shopping trip, doing it over and over and over again, every month or so, whenever they're kind of like not eating as much anymore, or kind of like complaining about what's in the house, we go yeah. do a yes shopping trip. And inevitably, every time they surprise me, it's not all sugar. I mean, there's plenty. Yeah. But that's a demand I drop for myself that I feel guilty about sugar. I don't. Oh, I yeah. don't worry about it. And and like, you know, with all the things we're facing, sugar yeah. is not something that I care about. <laughs> so I've already done that work. So then I'm like, well, what else is going to go in there? Let's just see. And there's always surprises. And every time it brings us closer, it's an exciting adventure. And just as a tag on to that genius, um, letting kids open things in the grocery store so that, you know, we get the Oreo container and they're like, Can I sure, we just open it and eat them. Why not? What's happening? 
I love it. I love this. It's like, you should call it anarchy parenting. I love it. Hi, Liz. This is a genius. <laughs> I am just crying the happiest tears right now. Just all the happiness. Just the relief. I have known since my six-and-a-half-year-old was two that he has ADHD and because my husband does and my sister does and I just I, I just I know what ADHD looks like and I knew he <laughs> had it but nobody listened to me no one no one I've been talking to the doctor since he was four and last week we finally got his diagnoses which did include severe ADHD and we got medication prescribed and he's on his ADHD meds for the first day today and of course last day of school but you know better late <laughs> than never and He's a different kid, and he's so happy, and I just want my kid to be himself, and I saw how happy he is today, and I just, I wish we'd had these six months ago, but I know that the only reason we even have it now is because I was so persistent and just fought and fought and fought and pushed and made it happen, and I just want to acknowledge that I was only partially able to do this because of the privilege of knowledge and benefits and just the funds to get him even tested and I just I'm so relieved and it just this is the first time I felt hopeful since he started school two and a half years ago and it just feels so good so thank you for telling me I'm doing a good job because I know I am and my kid has been doing such an amazing job and I get to see his smile so Mm. You're doing a great job. Everyone's doing a great job. Keep it up. You are doing an amazing job. And I tell you, I, look, Amanda, one of the things we talk about a lot is that, like, instinct, that, like, I know something needs to be addressed, right? Mm-hmm. And it's also mm-hmm. changing that language from I know something's wrong, right? It's I know something needs to be addressed. I know that... I am not wrong about this, and the, and I don't think we give ourselves or each other enough credit with the energy it takes to push and fight and get to get somebody to listen. And yes. it is a privilege because we are tired, and like you know, any day it could be any one of us who just doesn't have the ability to do it, and mm. that's its own spiral of like guilt and shame and you know frustration but like this is amazing you did this right I'm so proud of that story I'm so I'm, proud of you I knew my son was autistic at age two oh, yeah. and I almost chased the nurse back out into the hallway when they gave me the autism screening and I knew that they were asking me the wrong questions I was like I have boxes to check you yeah. just didn't you didn't do Give your them job. To me. Yeah. I know. And I think that um I think that the systems are gonna change. Oh yeah. And it will be because of mothers like this one who listened and knew and fought because those official diagnoses, when you have the privilege to be able to get them, they matter they do so much, especially for the kids that have any kind of atypical presentation. And yet we still know what's what. And I I just celebrate you. Yeah, we just, it's okay to trust yourself. It is okay to, and if trusting yourself is opening that bag of Oreos in the middle of the store and passing them out to everybody who comes by, then that is also 
the right instinct. Okay. Yes, it's so good. All right. Failures. Fail, 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 fail. You suck. All right. Well, I failed a number of times on this trip. I would like everybody to know, but I feel like there should be a new hashtag. Mom ruins everything. Um, let's see. My favorite was uh, I saw two young moose while we were driving. So that means once I saw them, they were gone, right? No one else was going to see those moose. Now, from a personal point, I was really excited. I really wanted to see some moose. Well, and there were all these signs that kept saying moose are going to cross and destroy your car. So I kept like waiting to see these moose. I saw them. And at first, I kept my mouth shut because I knew everybody was going to get mad that they didn't see it. But then later, I decided to share. I thought, you know what? Time has passed. I will now share that I did see moose. And that led to uh, me ruining vacation because I did something nice for myself and I saw a moose and I wanted to share that with my family so that they could enjoy it. And that was, uh, that was a mistake. Uh, there was also lots of similar mom ruins vacations by suggesting something fun. Mom ruins vacations by, uh, I don't know, trying to feed us. That's a mistake. Um, offering too much candy as a, yep, nope, nope. So uh, to all parents everywhere who are on vacation, just casually having a good time. I'm sorry that you too have ruined, <laughs> ruined your vacation by casually <laughs> having fun. What, were, what was I thinking? Amanda, I don't know what I was thinking. It was a mistake. Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry you ruined everything I by do, seeing I those moose. I know. It's true. I just, again, I'm a horrible monster and I've ruined my children's lives. Yeah. Yeah. I know. You really All right. have. All right. I would like you to fail us. I can definitely do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was at the grocery store and I opened up these cookies and 10 security guards came over. Okay. <laughs> oh, um, that would be the kind of fail that I relish. The, oh, I know. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the worst fails are when I fail my kids. I will share a fail story. We have a newly turned 11-year-old in our mm -hmm. house and we do a lot of proactive planning in order to meet everybody's needs. Because when we try to meet them all in the moment, it's virtually impossible. Correct. We really, it takes the brain trust to get everybody safe and secure. And so the, the plan was to have only my 11 year old and his friends at this particular birthday party, because yeah. the needs of the younger brothers are just yeah. big. And yet in the moment when it came down to it, that was too hard. We agreed to let sibling go to the party and, yeah. and to be honest, it was ruined. Yeah. Um, there were putt putt golf balls that were picked up and thrown into the lake along with oh, the yeah. club. 
Oh yeah. Um, there was a, there was a face that came into contact with a fist and at the end of the day, you know, my 11 year old looked at me and said, mom, it was ruined and we don't get that back. I said, can we do a do over? Can, can I, can I make it up to you? And he just said, no, Yeah, there's no getting that back. That's a punch in the gut. It is, which is why I think right next to all my, those, those are the worst fails, yeah, right? Those like, are the worst. They are. They, they are. are. When we can't protect our our kids from the reality of their high needs siblings, yeah. when our kids needs directly conflict with each other yeah. and it feels like we're having to choose between one or the other, which is why I do a lot of work around grief because I think yeah. that there's deep grieving around those fails. Like yeah. we fail our kids. We just do. Yeah. And I could, I, I personally could spend a lot of time hiding from that reality by bright siding and do overing and retelling the story with a, a rosy finish. And, um, I think that one of the, one of the places I'm currently trying to sit in like a, a learning edge for me is, is really being more honest with myself around just how much it hurts when I fail them. Yeah. Well, I am. So I see, I see you. I really can relate to all the choices and the pivoting and thinking maybe this will be the time and it will, and then having to sit in it, not being, and just how defeating that is. So I say all of that. And then I'm going to jokingly say, you're doing a horrible job. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's listen to somebody else. Hello, this is a fail with a hint of genius at the end. So I am on my way to pick up my youngest child from his field trip to the movie theater um, because he is covered in vomit. The camp counselor called me. He threw up all over himself. He has no change of clothes, so I got to go pick him up. And I'm thinking on the way, why the hell did he vomit? And I remembered that this morning when I gave him milk, I smelled it and it smelled like today was the very last day somebody should be drinking this. So I was borderline, eh, gave it to him anyway. So there's my fail. I gave my child apparently spoiled milk and he vomited all up. But my genius is I'm not telling anyone it's my fault. I'm not telling my husband. I'm not telling the camp counselor. I'm telling you guys, but yeah. that's it. It's my secret. That's yeah. my genius. I'm not going to feel more like shit than I already do <laughs> for this failure. I'm a genius. Oh, my God. You are a monster. But, oh, my <laughs> God. I love the, like, there's, I remember giving Ellis, like, we were on the way to school one morning, and I had these, I had my special chocolates, not like that kind of special chocolate, just my favorite chocolates. And Ellis was like, can I have one? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, look at me. I cool, mom. I'm giving you chocolate on the way to school. And then, like, within, I mean, I hadn't even gotten home when the call came that he had puked it all up. And I was, because you, you hear the puke. And you think, that's it. They're sick. I said, my kid is sick. Oh, no, I've ruined everybody's lives. And it's not. You just gave your child bad milk. You just just really failed there. And yeah, I just, you're doing a horrible job. 
We all see it. We all know. We're all going to talk about it for a really long time. In fact, I'm sure that the camp counselors, they've started a whole club. Like, I'm sure there's like a TikTok going around. Yeah, there's a subreddit. Thank you. There's a subreddit on this mom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shame, shame, shame. Actually, your end genius, though, is so good. Totally. Right. Yeah. Amanda, thank you. So, I love that for the genius fail, your kid was like, I'm good. I don't need to come in. <laughs> what a, <but laughs> love that. There's some sort of secret, like, underlying message with that. Like, I want my mom to share all of the. Ah, there they come. Everybody. I'm so like, I. I know. I, I'm going to make sure that you can all find AmandaDiekman.com, D-I-E-K-M-A-N, Diekman.com. She has classes, group coaching, access to the book. Just even taking the quiz on her site makes you, you feel seen. You're doing sumo wrestling. You're doing sumo, sumo wrestling. wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> It is also obvious that Amanda is doing a great job. Oh my God. I see you. You really are doing a good job. And we're going to link everybody up to where they can find out more about you. And like I said, your coaching, the even the emails that you send out that are encouraging. It's just another place to be told that you're normal. And that you're doing a good job. So we'll link everybody up to that. Amanda, I hope you have fun at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles today. I'm very Thank jealous. You. We're going later this week. So very jealous. Can I tell one quirk about me that's related to the like where you yes. can find me on the internet? Oh, bit? yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, I really love it when somebody listened to this podcast and then you come and find me on Instagram. I'm low demand Amanda and you send me a DM and you're like, Hey, I really love the part where you said blah, 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 or it touched me, or it made me think of this, that for me, when things kind of come back around, I just feel so like seen and excited. There's so much connection that happens in these podcasts. Like I'm putting, I, I, I really see you out there, podcast <laughs> listener. Like I feel I know. You. And I just like when you tell me what touched you, it really lights me up inside. So I know a lot of people are Good super job. protective of their DMs, but I personally love it. So if you message me, I will write you back and we can have get to know each other. But also good job telling us what you want. I love it. I love it. I would like less social media, not in the DM part, but I just suck at it. <laughs> just am not good. So in five months when I post the show, guys, we'll all reach out to her. Not true. I'm going to, I'm back from vacation. I will be better. Amanda, thank you so much. Thank you for this wonderful conversation and giving me a lot of great laughter this afternoon. I, I loved it. <laughs> okay, good. Bye. Bye. You are the greatest mom I've ever known. I love you. I love you When I have a problem I call you on the phone I love you I love you 
Hey, when you listen to podcasts, it really just comes down to whether or not you like the sound of everyone's voices. My voice is one of the sounds you'll hear on the podcast Dr. Game Show, and this is the voice of co-host and fearless leader Joe Firestone. This is a podcast where we play games submitted by listeners, and we play them with callers over Zoom we've never spoken to in our lives. So that is basically the concept of the show. Pretty chill. So take it or leave it, bucko. And here's what some of the listeners have to say. It's funny, wholesome, and it never fails to make me smile. I just started listening and I'm already binging it. I haven't laughed this hard in ages. I wish I'd discovered it sooner. You can find Dr. Game Show on MaximumFun.org. All right, everybody, let's listen to a mom have a breakdown. Hey, Biz. This is a mini rant. In the last five minutes, I've overflowed a sink, (laughs) had to throw out a very moldy towel, and discovered ants in a laundry (gasps) basket downstairs in my laundry room (laughs) and in a laundry basket upstairs in my closet. And fucking ants. They're going to be everywhere. Oh, I hate them. Every fucking where. Yeah. Anyway, that's five minutes. So many rants. I'm going to take a deep breath and um, move on now. Thanks. You're doing such a good job. The first two things, like I get, like those are annoying, especially when they happen on top of each other. But it's a real pill when they're the ants. And in a laundry basket, which really can spiral me down a long path of how did they get into this laundry basket? Like were they in somebody's pockets? Was that where it was? And then you're right. Once they're there, it feels impossible. I hate ants. I hate them. They are my thing. I will deal with a roach. I will deal with bees. I will deal with spiders. Ants, they are just too many of them. And they are very smart. And they communicate. I'm not a fan. So I, I really see you. And... The thing is, is that all three of those things, which is probably just three things in the course of a series of things for the day, is all happening within the world of work, parenting, and trying to be a person. Uh, None of those help each other. So I just want you to know that I see you, and I think you're doing an amazing job. Everybody, wow. I really enjoyed talking to Amanda and, you know, I think there's this feeling that like, yeah, we talk about our experiences uh, as parents and, you know, I, it's a lot, but I'm all right. And then like you really hear somebody talk about things that you yourself are going through and you're like, oh, maybe maybe I'm not okay, right? Like, maybe this isn't, right? Like, maybe I am trying to do something that I shouldn't, or just, actually, it's just the feeling of feeling seen. So, you know, it can, having kids in your house is hard. And there are a variety of different elements that we can mix in to make that hard harder (laughs) or less hard or day by day. Uh, It's up in the air. So I just want to say that even when you're not feeling it, you really are doing a good job 
And if you think that this is really hard, you're correct. It is really hard. And I see you and you are absolutely not the only one. And uh, I will talk to you next week. It is good to be back. Bye. I got to low down mama blues. I got to low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. Low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. You know that right. We'd like to thank Max Bunn, our producer, Gabe Mara, my husband, Stephen Lawrence, our perfect children who provide us with inspiration to say all these horrible things. And of course, you, our listeners. To find out more about the songs you heard on today's podcast and more about the show, please go to MaximumFun.org slash OneBadMother. For information about live shows, our book, and press, please check out OneBadMotherPodcast.com. One Bad Mother is a member of the Maximum Fun family of podcasts. To support the show, go to MaximumFun.org slash join. Well, Daddy, baby, bustin' by, got low down mama blues. Oh, said Daddy, baby, bustin' by, got low down mama blues. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.